Hey, CN efforts. Exciting editing news from yours truly. You know, my wife is so good at editing my stuff, ruthless, that we've kind of teamed up. If you want two for the price of one, whether it be for like an essay or maybe something book length or maybe even book proposal, visit brendanomero.com. Hey, hey, email me and we'll start a dialogue, okay? And also, hey, promotional support for this episode is brought to you by Hippocamp. It's a one-of-a-kind writer's conference devoted solely to creative nonfiction. It takes place this year, August 12th to the 14th, so next weekend, depending on when you listen to this, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And the featured keynote is the brilliant Carmen Maria Machado. There are limited seats available, so if you're on the fence, if you use the promo code CNFPOD22... You'll get $89 off your registration. So head over to hippocampusmagazine.com slash conference to sign up. It's going to be a full house this year. It was no, there was nothing 2020 because of COVID. Last year was a little lagging because of COVID trepidation. Um, but now, now it's back, baby. So go snag a final seat to the best conference you'll ever attend. And no, I don't get any kickbacks. So you know my recommendation is true. Go, go, go. You should not be using a sausage example. Since we're talking about PA Dutch country, we should be using Scrapple. Scrapple. Oh, hey, CNFers. That's Donna Tallarico, writer and founder of Hippocamp. At this moment, as I hit publish on this episode, Hippocamp 22 is about a week away. Sadly, due to a scheduling conflict around the time of enrollment, I was unable to attend and snag one of those seats. Bums me out. And I won't be presenting this year, obviously. So I'll dodge some of the, shall we say, less than savory feedback I've gotten the last couple years. Like, would never attend another breakout session with him. Hmm. Can't win them all over, can you? And as you know, I'm a bit of an acquired taste. But I'll be coming on strong next year, so stick that in your pipe and smoke it, Kristen. Keep the conversation going at CNF Pod on Twitter or at Creative Nonfiction Podcast on Instagram. You know, I don't really hang out there that much, but it's there for you. Consider heading over to our Patreon page. Oh, I like that. To help support this enterprise. It's a big ask. I get it. I'm already asking you for your time every week. About an hour. It's a lot. And on top of that, I have the audacity to ask for maybe two or four bucks a month. I know it doesn't look like much on paper, but it is something. I mean, you could be buying coffee with that. You could be buying lattes with that. Uh, but anyway, those dollars, man, boy, do they mean a lot. And, you know, and if that's a hard, hard stretch, what else, what else you can do to help is leave kind reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you leave one, I'll, read it. I'll leave it right here. I'll leave it? I will read it right here. I think in this era, it's all the more important for, especially as writers, us that dabble in the, the mid to low lists to leave reviews for the books we read and the pods we listen to. Validates the enterprise for the wayward CNF or it might pursue, persuade someone, someone like yourself to join our little brigade here in our corner of the internet. Show notes to this episode and a billion others are at brendanomero.com. Hey, there you may also sign up to the Up to 11 Rage Against the Algorithm newsletter. This is where it's at, CNFers. I, I'm not one to hang out on social media much. I'm certainly not a scroller. And when I do, I feel sad. But I am one to put a lot of effort 
into my kick-ass newsletter that entertains, gives you value, I'd like to think, and sticks it to the algorithm. If that's your thing, sign up at brendanomero.com. <laughs> Been doing it for many, many years. On the first of the month, no spam. So far as I can tell, you can't beat it. So Donna is here to talk about Hippocamp, my favorite conference. And if I do attend one conference every year, and I usually do, just one a year, it's Hippocamp. So she's here to talk about lessons learned, what's easier and what's harder after having done this. Uh, this is going to be seventh conference in eight years. Uh, she talks about Carmen Maria Machado, her hippocamper, it's a thing, and Scrapple. If you know, you know. Let's get after it, CNFers. You've waited long enough. Here is Donna Tala freaking Rico. <laughs> Did you name your camper the Hippo Camper? <laughs> I love that you asked me that because I kind of did. Um, <laughs> like even a couple years before we had the camper, I joked because I still always said wanted to live on the road. And I said, you know, what if we do like, I think this might have been the, after the first Hippo Camp in 2015. I said to Kevin or maybe some friends and I said, we should take this show on the road and do like some regionals around the country and rent an RV and we'll call it the hippo camper. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's been an idea. And then when we bought this camper, uh, Louise, who's one of our conference volunteers, she works at the book sale table. She bought me like a fake Pennsylvania license plate customized that says the hippo camper on it. Nice. So I have it hanging in the bedroom in the camper. So I just, I love that play on words. And I love that you, that you thought of it as, that you thought of it too. That's so funny. <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of that, it's like, uh, what is this number? Is this number seven? This is number seven, lucky number seven. It's eight years since it started, but we had mm -hmm. that whole uh, cancellation in, in 2020. So yeah, this is our seventh one. That's amazing. So yeah. So what's the, what's the feeling going into it now? You know, how does it, uh, you know, oh. like you said, lucky number seven, here you go yeah. two years in a row now after the, the COVID cancellation. Yeah. It's, you know, attendance is back up to what it was in like in 2019, we were trying to reach about 250 people and we were on that trajectory, but you know, in 2020 we canceled and, and there were a lot of people who weren't ready to return to um, in-person events last year. So we had a good turnout last year for um, for the situation, but this year we have about getting up to about 250 people. So we're so excited. The We have a Facebook group for attendees and the chatter there is starting to pick up with people talking about where they're going to go for dinner, what they should wear in the conference rooms. And it's just, yeah, it's a good vibe right now. There's just a lot of good conversation. So, so we're excited, um, but it's also just about a week out. So I'm also kind of stressing a little bit for all those last minute details. And, you know, did I remember this box or that box or, you know, did we order this or that? So yeah, crunch time. What keeps you up at night at this time, a week before the sh week before the show? Oh my gosh. It's so funny that you ask that. Um, I have, even during non-hippocamp times throughout the year, I have dreams that the program's not there. That's one of my mm. kind of recurring real life hippocamp nightmares. And then I also have dreams that I forgot to order the food 
and that I get there. And in the one dream, the conference person said, we just put out some prime rib because, you know, you didn't fill out your menu. Um, (laughs) So I think it's like, I think we have all the big things taken care of. And I, I think it's always the little details that keep me up. Like, did I remember the phone charger? Do we have batteries for this? Do we have the laptop cable? So it's those little, little things that keep me up at night because I'm just going through mental checklists. And, and sometimes I just get up and even though I have to-do lists, I just write this stuff down again um, just to get it out of my head. And hopefully that helps me fall back asleep. So now like eight years in, seventh actual conference. Yeah. Given all that time that you've put in so far, Donna, what what has gotten easier for you logistically as you put put the show on? For me, um, I've been involved in some other conferences um, in the higher ed world. One is called High Ed Web, and that's usually every October. And I was really involved with that conference. And that's the one that inspired me to start Hippocamp. Um, I might have mentioned that on um, on one of the conversations we had about a previous conference. But one of the things that Hyatt Web does really well is an attendee and speaker communication plan. And so we have that. We have sort of, um, you know, the first couple of years, I, I wrote emails, but now we sort of reuse the same like templated ones. Um, so that kind of changes each year. But so we have our We have a month to go. We have two weeks to go. We have a week to go um, for the speakers with tips and things to get them ready. And then on the attendee side, we also have a bunch of reminder emails. And then we have one that's actually going out tomorrow that is um, an attendee arrival guide. And I put all the information in the body of the email. But for people that like to print things out, I, I make a nice like branded PDF version of it that people can print out that has all the information they need, what to bring, what to wear, where to park. And um, so since we did that the first couple years, it basically is on autopilot. You know, Mm. so we have the calendar, we know when we're sending them out, and it's just a matter of going in and updating some dates, details, um, you know, that are specific to that particular year. So I would say in a a long-winded answer, the communication has gotten a lot easier. And given that you go to other conferences over the course of the year, like many people do, what are some other things that other conferences do especially well that you've cherry picked that you, that you apply to Hippocamp? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I do. I, I really pay attention to all the little details when I'm because at- Because you're um, seeing at, things that other people wouldn't see. You know, when you attend yes. a conference, you're like, as an organizer, you're like, oh, okay. I'm, I, yeah. you, can, you can see the matrix. Exactly. Yes. I feel like I'm not just here as an attendee or I'm not just here as a speaker or volunteer, but I am here on a covert mission to find out what is working for them. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but in all seriousness, I think one of the things that... um, that I learned at um, at High Ed Web, um, and I think AWP actually does this now too, but have a quiet room. You know, there's a lot of people that um, can only people so much throughout the day. Um, and then there's some people who um, Hippocamp is in a hotel. It's in the Marriott, but not everybody stays at that hotel. Some people live locally and drive each day. Some people stay in an Airbnb or stay in another hotel across town. Um, so 
we have a room that we set up. I call it the rest and recharge lounge. Um, so where you can recharge yourself and recharge your devices. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, a private room that's sort of set out. There's some tables in there if people do want to sit with a friend. Um, there's a couple of little couches and chairs in there. And then there are some charging stations. So people can plug in their uh, mobile devices or even their laptops and just chill out for a little bit. Um, so, so that's, we, we've been doing that, I think for the past five years now, but, um, but it's, there's not always people in there. And sometimes I think, uh, do we really need this extra room? But then I'll, I'll see something in this post-conference survey that say, I really love that you had a break room. You know, this is just so cool. Um, yeah. so I think just paying attention, you know, and kind of, um, empathizing with attendee, you know, that they're going to be excited. And then they're going to also have times where they're exhausted and overwhelmed. Um, so just to do like those little touches, like, like the break room, like giving them somewhere to charge their phone. Um, I mean, I, you're, I mean, before like mobile devices and carrying your laptop everywhere was ubiquitous. Like everybody would fight for that one outlet that's in a hallway yeah. or, you know, or in, in the airport somewhere. And, and now, I mean, everybody's kind of putting charging stuff everywhere, but, but we try to make an extra point to do that. You know, this is, this is pretty common now at conferences, but that pronoun pronoun stickers or, or pins, mm -hmm. that way you can have those on badges. Um, and there's something that I don't know if we're going to have time to do it this year, but I saw a couple other conferences do it, but they also had stickers, um, sort of a post pandemic thing, like, Hey, I'm comfortable giving a hug. Hey, I'm comfortable shaking a hand, you know, Hey, I'm only fist bumping. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are some things I've seen conference organizers do the past couple years. I love the, the quiet room also, um, as someone who's presented and I'm very introverted. So like once I, once I expel a lot of that kind of energy, to I I definitely need a place to like really just power down for at least a half an hour after I'm just like so wiped. So to have like that yes. that safe sort of cocoon to go to, I think just as someone who's I would be that way as a as an attendee, but as a presenter too, it just like I needed that place to just really come down from from yeah just the the energy you put out for for an hour in front of a group of people. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you find it, that you found that, you know, that little cocoon, like you said, I like that, that you, that you found it helpful. And um, yeah. And so the rest and recharge lounge I was talking about was the main one for the attendees, but yeah, you reminded me also of having that extra, that extra, extra quiet room for speakers so they can go. And like you said, either after the presentation to wind down a little bit, or maybe before you go on just to kind of have a Zen moment or to finish your slides. And then I also, and I actually got this idea from like bathrooms at clubs when I used to go like clubbing <laughs> in my twenties, but the girl, the ladies bathrooms back then always had like hairspray and, you know, feminine products and, and deodorant and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to put stuff like that in, in the speaker room. And that way, if somebody, you know, needs a toothpick or needs um, saline solution for their contact. So, so we kind of have like little, I call it the sundry, the sundries um, box, but I fill that up with some little toiletry type items for people to use. That's awesome. And we, and we, we talked about like what's gotten easier for you over the years and, you know, and given that you've done this for a while, you know, what still is very hard to execute year in, year out, no matter how proficient and efficient you get at it. 
Yeah, that's that's a good question too. Um, I think you know since Hippocampus Magazine is still independent volunteer run, it's the, the budget really is the biggest thing. It's it's a conference where the registration is meant to cover the cost of the conference. You know, we one day would hope to make some money to put back into the into the conference. But so so being mindful of that budget, I think what there's that gray or not that gray area, that little sticky area in the middle where after we open registration, and then so you have this big rush of people that want to get their tickets right away. And then you have a lot of people who are just getting their registration like the last month beforehand. So there is this like three months of panic. Um you know, are we going to make it this year? Uh, because if anybody has planned an event that's listening um, at an official hotel or conference center, they make you have a food minimum. They make you have an AV, like you have to use all of their services. And so you sign a contract that commits to spending a certain amount. And that is really, really scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So so that's not really a, lo- a logistical thing, but it's something that doesn't get easier. It's just that, are we going to make it? Can we order the food? Do we need to, you know, promote a little more? What can we do? You know, especially coming off the two, the one year we missed and then last year being down a little bit. So I think we really, really came back this year strong. Um, so I'm not as panicked this year. But I think that will always be something, you know, is this going to is this event going to make it financially? But also, given that, you know, you solicit, um, you know, uh, uh, panels from various writers and everything. And how have you hedged over the years to make sure that it always feels, you know, fresh and you're getting new ideas from new speakers and repeat speakers. So that way it doesn't feel like when people come and, you know, and travel and, you know, and spend hard earned money on this awesome conference you've built that they're not, you know, it doesn't feel like they're, they're, they're just getting a rerun. Like it always feels kind of like it feels new every year. Yeah, that's a great point because you will have um, repeat visitors. You'll have brand new visitors that might want the same information that's talked about each year. I mean, everybody always wants to know about querying or about, you know, writing about family members. So especially since the conference is just creative nonfiction, it's like, okay, well, there are some topics we should have, but again, we should make sure there are fresh uh, fresh speakers and fresh spins on those topics. But, um, But that's a really great question. And this year we have 64% as of today, 64% new attendees, first time attendees, Mm -hmm. and more than half of this year's speakers are new to Hippocamp this year or new, a new speaker they might've attended in the past. So we have a lot of new people this year. So to get back to answer your question about the specific programming, um, and I think this is also one of the things, Brendan, that gets a little harder too, is we get more and more interest in people presenting. So our pool of proposals, we're on the, um, I should have said this before, because not everybody's familiar with our event, but Hippocamp is an open proposal system. It's sort of for attendees by attendees. So we, um, with the exception of our keynote speaker and a few select panels, we just have people pitch ideas to us and then we, we go through them and we pick them. Um, so we're getting bigger and bigger pools of submissions. So it's harder and harder to pick. 
Yeah, but we have um, we have a programming committee that we try to fill with, um, you know, uh, diverse people. A lot of the people are already on the magazine staff, and then we pull in some attendees. And everybody really is so thoughtful when they read through the presentation, through the presentation proposals. They might say, you know, this speaker is great. This is a great topic, but you know, we heard from them last year. Or um, so we try to make really thoughtful decisions about giving new people a chance, um, bringing back some highly rated speakers because we do surveys and we have every rate, every individual breakout session. Um, So we like to bring back people we know that attendees like to learn from. Um, So yeah, so it's it's a mix. And we really do thoughtfully go through everything. And it's kind of like being, I guess, when you're looking at submissions for a literary magazine, you know, so mm-hmm. you might get essays about the same topic and you just can't, we can't have three essays about this in this issue. So it doesn't mean that some of the proposals were bad. We just had to make a choice of which of these three on this topic do we pick. So in a way, it sort of is like reading submissions, but they're conference proposals instead. What becomes the the challenge for you once you've curated all the, all the, breakout sessions and panels and such to then schedule it in such a way where it it feels like they're spread equally and you're getting a smattering of various ones like spread over the whole weekend instead of like it's all I don't know front loaded with memoir versus you know it's like all kind of like spread out nicely so there's balance yeah yeah that's I want you to be on the programming committee next year because <laughs> you're asking all these amazing questions that shows how thoughtful of a person you you are. Um, but no, that's an excellent point as well. Um, so I have a, uh, we sort of have a running spreadsheet, like um, we use submittable. So I, I download all of um, the proposals we accept and I kind of can make notes and things like that. But when I'm getting ready, um, to plan out the schedule. I just, I have a huge spreadsheet. Um, typically we have four, um, four sessions to choose from in each time slot. And then we have five time slots on Saturday, the first full day. And then on Sunday, because we have a couple other things on Sunday, we have three breakout sessions. So, So basically we have like 24 or 30 slots to fill. So I set it up in a big spreadsheet and I sort of just plop things around and then I look kind of holistically at it and I see, okay, are there really like, is there one really popular speaker? And then like three new speakers. It's like, okay, well, there could be the chance that some of the new speakers might not get a, you know, a good audience based on what the competition is. So we try to balance the time slot based on what we think the demand is. You know, we, we can't really tell what people are going to sign up for or what people are going to choose to attend because you make the decision on the fly. You don't have to sign up for sessions ahead of time, just like, you know, an open format conference. So, yeah, yeah. so I guess it's about draw, but then also about a topic, you know, and, and I actually have seen this done at other conferences too, where they'll put some of the popular topics or speakers at the end just to kind of keep people there longer because some people leave early, you know, so we like strategically not to call out any one particular speaker, but anybody that knows her knows she's a rock star, Alison Williams. So the the unkind editor, Alison K. Williams. So she presents on Sunday afternoon. Um, So it's little things like that, that we're strategic about. Um, I'm kind of 
ripping, you know, the, the curtain off here. But um, but I think that's important as an organizer to, to do. And and likewise, you know, um, there are some people that are morning people, but I'm definitely not. But I'll get up at, for the first session of the morning if there's like a, a good topic. So I try to put some heavy hitters early and then late and then just sort of sprinkle in between and then just pay attention. We, we actually... Um, for each session room, we have a room host that's in there just to kind of be a contact for the speaker um, to help them get set up in AV and then to just remind the audience to turn off their cell phones and things. But we have that room host, if they remember, um, to jot down attendance, like how many people were in there. So we look at that afterwards and see what the balance is. So there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than most people think that, um, you know, but we really do look at this data and, and stuff to help us inform future decisions. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I like hearing that. I love it. a little peek behind the curtains. Good. You don't want yeah. yeah, you don't want to see how the entire sausage is made because then it might ruin the magic. But like a little bit of the sausage is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we'll tell you some of the ingredients, but we just won't right. tell you the whole the whole process. Right. But I think. You should not be using a sausage example. I know. Since we're talking about PA Dutch country, we should be using Scrapple. Okay. Scrapple. Okay. For Yeah. Explain what that is for, for those who don't know. You know, I think that people should just Google image search it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Um, Scrapple is basically like, um, it's really popular in Pennsylvania Dutch country, which is basically Lancaster-ish area. Um, but it's like a big slab of of meat, meat parts. <laughs> it's just like a little bit of everything. And it's almost like made in, in a loaf, like a bologna or something, but kind of like a sausage, but like a loaf. Um and then how you cook it is you just slice it thin. Thin. It should be really thin if you make it right. And you fry it up. And so the outside should be really crispy and brown, but the inside should be a little, like a little soft, almost, almost like pate consistency on the inside. And if you really want to do it right, you just squirt a hell of a lot of ketchup on top of it. <laughs> and that is scrapple. And <laughs> We are having it at breakfast at Hippocamp because I want people to try it. You, you need some local fare. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so we we give people um, we have whoopie pies, which are like universal, universally loved, and there's even gluten free ones. Um, but so, if we're going to give the good, we're also going to give the interesting. So, we're also going to do the scrapple too. Do you have an idea for a great new podcast? You can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Libsyn. Our podcast has been on Libsyn for, I don't know, three or four years now. I can't remember, but we switched and we like it. Libsyn has everything you need to plan, launch, and grow your own podcast. Libsyn provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know, like what equipment you should use, how to record great audio, how to get your show onto Apple Podcasts and other popular platforms, and much more. Plus, as a friend of CNF Pod, when you sign up with Libsyn, you get your first month of podcast hosting for free. There has never been a better time than right now for you to start podcasting. Visit Libsyn.com and use code F-R-I-E-N-D. That's friend. That's Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, 
com and use code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D, to get started and create your podcast today. Oh, and wouldn't you know that I flubbed up my question just verbally, you know, because sometimes things just spill out of my mouth in ways that are nonsensical. And I asked Donna just to express her excitement of how cool it is to have Carmen Maria Machado as the keynote speaker for Hippocamp 22. Yes, we are so excited. Yeah, she was going to be, and we had just announced the the keynote. And um, I think, I believe tickets maybe were on sale for less than a month before the world went on hold. Um, and then when it was time to plan for 2021, she was unable to make it last year. So um, we go through her speakers bureau, which is called the Tuesday Agency. So he sent an email and he's like, yeah, this is the third year we're doing this, right? And I'm like, yep. So um, <laughs> so it's finally going to happen. Um, what's really great is that um, she's somewhat local, so she can just, she can drive here. And so there's, um, there's not that fear of like, I think the farthest, the person who came the farthest was Tobias Wolf, who came from California. And there's always that fear, will his flight get canceled? Mm -hmm. um, so that's also like less of a panic mode, knowing that your keynote's uh, pretty close by. Um, but what I really love about, about Carmen is that um, just like so many other CNF writers is maybe, you know, memoir, essay, journalism, maybe that's their main thing, but they might also dabble in short stories or they might also dabble in poetry. Um, we have several of our highest rated sessions each year are on hybrid forms. Like when Rebecca Fish Ewan came a couple of years ago, um, Lara Lillybridge is going to be talking about that this year. So that Carmen does memoir in a very like fragmented, interesting way, by the way. Um, she does short stories like in the horror genre. And then she also did comics. So she really has so much wisdom to share. She was also a professor um, and she just started a sub stack. I don't know if you saw that, but she put out an yeah. article about, yeah, about the publishing and plagiarism and the hard work. And, you know, it's just, I read that and I'm like, oh my God, this is great. We're going to, you know, everyone at Hippocamp gets to hear from her in the flesh in a couple of weeks. So we're really excited. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, also, you know, you've got, you know, all this, you know, all this going on. The conference, of course, is something that takes up an incredible amount of bandwidth and energy uh, for you. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're also a writer with memoir aspirations and stuff and stuff of that nature. And uh, it can be yeah. hard to find the time to do that, especially when you've got some very high level things to do and other priorities that seem to take away from that kind of writing time. So um, I know we, you and I, about a year ago, we spoke about what you were working on. And I'm just wondering, like, maybe how how has that been progressing? Or even if it hasn't been progressing that much, you know, how have you found found some time to make sure that you're contributing in, to your own writing and, and as much as you champion everybody else? Yeah. Thank you for asking about that. And, and you're right. And I'm sure, you know, you have these conversations with a lot of people you interview on your show that are editors and writers or pr other producers and writers that it really is hard to keep up with your own creative projects when you have this passion project. Um, and then also the full-time day job, you know, which yeah. funds a lot of the extra stuff we do. Um, so I've been struggling a little bit this year. Um, I, 
about six years ago, I became self-employed. I and I'm a contractor for a couple digital agencies and a couple colleges and universities. But I found that it's a little bit more challenging when you're self-employed, like you think you have more time, but you actually have less time. It's like that myth of more time. So as a person and as a human, I've been struggling a little bit, um, staying afloat with everything. But um, so I haven't really been working much on my creative writing, but something I did sort of get back to was, um, and it sounds a little silly, but I've always done freelance journalism. You and I have talked about that in the past too. Um, but I got back to writing um, some word games and also writing about games. There, mm. There's this magazine. It used to be called Games, and now it's called Games World of Puzzles. And um, so I, I got back in that magazine um, for a review of a card game. And I... And I think what it is, since I'm, I'm really having trouble spilling out the words for my memoir and even for essays, but I still want to use those creative ideas, kind of going back to the hippocamper. Like, I love playing with words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I sort of like reignited my love for word games. Um, so this year, for the first time, I went to the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament. It's in Stamford, Connecticut every year. And um, there's a really great documentary that came out in in uh, 2005. Is it called Word Nerd? I forget. But it's all about that conference, or sorry, that competition. And one of my good friends was going to it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go with you this year. So I'm not a speed solver by any means, but it was really fun just to go. And Will Shorts, who's been the editor for the New York Times crossword for, for, um, since uh, 1993, and he used to edit Games Magazine, and that's where I first saw his name when I was a kid because I, I loved word puzzles for so long. Um, so he was—he runs that conference. I keep calling it a conference. I'm sorry. He runs that competition, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so I got to meet him after, and it was just like a dream come true. I'm like, I got to shake hands with Will Shorts. Um, but I emailed my editor of games magazine. And I, I didn't want to seem like I was going there with a mission. So I didn't think of it until after, but I said, you know, Hey, I was at the crossword tournament. Do do you, would you like to hear about this from a rookie's perspective? And she's like, yeah. So, um, she said 1500 words. So I sent in 3000 words. Um, an editor's um, dream you'd be like yeah oh, exactly gosh. yeah and I told her I said listen I said I wanted to make it kind of like a feature and I because I inter- interviewed some of my I interviewed my friend and a new friend that I made and I didn't want to so it's kind of diary part feature story um so they just they edited it a little bit but they basically ran it and it's in the August issue of games which it's not available on, on the website. You, you can download the magazine digitally. You have to pay for it. But, um, but yeah, so that ran this month and it was just so cool. It was called Rookie Mistakes and Memories. Um, and so I, I guess I sort of just got back to writing articles that are more on the fun side. And I've also been toying with um, writing new word games. And then also one of my bucket list goals is to get a crossword puzzle published. So rather than words, sentences, and chapters, I'm basically just doing it one, one block at a time. Yeah. It was, you know, it's particularly hard because, you know, and this is why I'm very bad at it and why I've never really been able to sustain it for any degree of 
Oh, uh, any long term, uh, any degree of long term, because, it, you know, you're very much running a business and a business person and a, a lot of bandwidth has to go into that. And I've always been very bad about that. And that, I think that can rob a lot of time from creative work when you have to go out and try to drum up work and find like a good anchor client too, or something. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you're so right. And, and I think that's why I keep some of the anchor clients that I have, because I don't want to go out like 100% freelance project to project. So I have some longer term contracts, but in a way, I mean, that's, that's a full-time job. So yeah, it's harder to work in the freelance stuff that's fun and that I'm passionate about, and then the creative writing. So I have been thinking about, and I, uh, I hate to even admit this, but going to work for the man again, um, maybe mm -hmm. now that people are more open to full-time remote employees, I've been thinking about maybe I'll just go back and work for a company again. That way I don't have to deal with six email accounts and six project management systems. And because I didn't Quarterly realize taxes. how, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, how exhausting it is to switch with all those systems too. So that takes the admin stuff takes surprisingly not just a lot of time but a lot of mental energy um so i've been thinking about okay maybe i just go back to a, a quote-unquote regular full-time job we'll see honestly cnfers i i, I always say this at the top of at the top of every bottom of every episode i i honestly don't know how this show comes out every week uh, but it happened again uh thanks to donna I mean, she's part of the reason it happened again. Thanks to Hippocamp for promotional support. And thanks to you, you CNF and listener, for spending an hour with us every week. Remember, if you're on the fence here about Hippocamp, next week, use the promo code CNFPOD22. Get $89 off your registration fee. You can buy a lot of donuts with that. But you should probably buy books and support the writers and support your peers, man. But, hey, I'm not one to tell you what to do with your money. If you bought $89 worth of donuts, fist bumps. I tested negative, baby, for COVID today. Back in the saddle again. I'm not one for Aerosmith, but there you have it. Which means I can visit my mom a few more times before I head back to the Beaver State. Home. It's been four weeks away from home. And kind of on paper, it doesn't sound like much. But it's a long time. My wife has barely slept in a month because, you know, being by herself in our house, we don't have a big house, but it's still a big house for the two of us and certainly for one of us and Kevin and Hank, the dogs for those in the know. Um, it's also very stressful and scary just to be by, you know, to be by herself. So naturally she hasn't slept in like a month. Uh, so she's looking forward to my return so she can take a nap. But that's about it. Uh, my mom, well, can I say she's improving or I can't say she's improving that much? I mean, the short-term memory, man, that's that's the killer. There's no recall. She doesn't remember, like, me even being here, you know, before COVID. I was there almost most days, twice a day, every single day. And she has no memory of me having been there. I'm not sure what the future holds, you know, where she'll be long-term. Yeah, my sister and I have been getting rid of so much hoarder garbage at my mom's house in the unlikely event that she goes back there. Just make it super lean, stripped down. She's shuffling around the place. She's not going to stumble over stuff. If she opens drawers, she's not going to be overwhelmed by 
bank statements going back to 2005. I don't think we need those. It's, uh, yeah, so, like I said, we've been getting rid of a lot of stuff um, in the unlikely event that she's back there. But who knows? Best case scenario, maybe she'll, maybe the memory will come back a little bit physically. Maybe she'll be capable. I don't know what the chaperone situation will be. I don't know. I'm in uncharted territory. We all are on this side of the microphone. Stumbled across a lot of old high school love letters in my scavenging at my mom. She When she moved from Lakeville to Vineland, she did keep some stuff of mine. Oh, boy. Notes, photographs. Oh, boy. This is the stuff of writerly gold, man. Actual first-hand documents of what certain girls wrote to me and by extension what I wrote to them drama 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 you see the writer with minimalist tendencies has a problem and that's kind of what I'm like I hate I hate clutter I'm a clutter guy I hate clutter love minimalism but you also know that holding on to these things is what gives you the grist for the mill you want to get rid of everything in sight at least I do But it could be that the thing you get rid of is this crowned jewel that 10 years from now is going to be like this amazing piece of information for a cool essay. Who knows? And you don't have to rely on memory. You've got the actual words written by your girlfriend when you were 16, 17, 18 years old. You can show it to a fact checker and be like, boom, I told you we were pathetic. I guess that's what scanners can be for now. But still, my God. Remember when you thought that everything was so important in high school? I don't know what will come of any of it, if anything. But for the writer, life is content. And you have to metabolize it and think, what is universal here? What heartstrings might this pull on? What sweaters will come undone? Whoa, whoa. Lot to think about. Lot to think about. In the meantime, stay wild, CNFers. And if you can do, interview. See ya.